A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, how are you all? What's that I smell cooking on the stove? It's Pride Month, people. That came around quick, didn't it? I've barely got the rainbow makeup off out of my hair from last time. It's Pride Month, and that's exciting because it's a celebration. And for uh, to celebrate um, Pride Month here at Homo Sapiens Podcast, we are kicking things off this week by revisiting everybody's favourite episode from last year. So many people wrote in about this. And we're going to revisit it. It's the Hillcrest Primary School in Bristol. They made their own podcast, all the school kids did. And it's a celebration of pride and everything it means to the teachers and the parents and the students. And everyone really loved it. So if you haven't already heard it, um, enjoy. If you have heard it before, I had another listen to it. And it's just as soul affirming, if that's the saying, as it was the first time we spoke. And We've got great episodes coming up this week, this month, I mean, because Pride Month is a month, Chris. The clue's in the title. Uh, we're going to be talking about parenting queer kids. We're going to be talking to Cat Burns, singing sensation, who is currently, I think, on tour with Sam Smith and just released a song with Sam Smith. Cat is amazing. Bothering my Spotify, as they say. And we're going to be talking to Labour MP Wes Streeting and hearing all about his life growing up. He's really cool. I really like him. And we're going to be talking about ADHD and queer people. So it's a right old, interesting mish, mishmash. Mishmash would make it sound unplanned. Um, it's quite the cornucopia. I believe cornucopia is the word we use. Uh, queer cornucopia? Queernocopia? Leave it with me. Um, let's go meet those brilliant kids at Hillcrest Primary and lift our spirits at the top of Pride Month. From Hillcrest Primary School, I'm Phoebe. I'm Solly. And I'm Freddie. We're so excited to be bringing you the first ever special of our school podcast. Pride is an event we think is so crucial to learn about. It's important we all know what it stands for and why it's important for the LGBT community. But do you too know what LGBT stands for? Yes, it means lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender. And then we put the plus on the end for people who have other identities, like my sister Jenny, who identifies as Pan. At Hillcrest, we believe everyone should be included and made to feel safe, welcome and valued, which is why one of the ways we're celebrating this important month is with this podcast. In this episode, 
we have specials for our usual features. LGBT members of our school staff will be joining us for Teacher Tales. Our chatty children will be learning about life as an LGBT parent. The children of Hillcrest have been discussing their LGBT heroes for Voices from the Playground. And the big question returns with a very special guest. On to the first of our special segments for this podcast. And it's the return of the big question. We were very lucky to receive a visit from a VIP. His name is Darren Carter, MBE, and he is the founder of Bristol Pride. Jasper sat down with him to discuss this term's big question. The big question. Welcome to The Big Question, where we discuss and debate the big topics. This term's question is, is Pride still important today? I'm Jasper, and today we're joined with very special guest, Darren Carter. Darren is the, is the Programming and Partnership direct, Director for Bristol Pride and was the person who re-established Pride in Bristol in 2010 um, and, has he- and has helped shade it into, into the huge event it is today. Welcome to Chris Darren. Thank you for taking time out of your day. Um, to join us here for our podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So to start thinking about this term, this big question, perhaps you could tell, a, tell our, our listeners a little bit about how and why Pride began. Yeah, so I guess that's quite a big question. Um, <laughs> so if you look at uh, the, the long history, I guess, of, of Pride events and where it was founded from. So in 1969, uh, in, in June, uh, there was something called the Stonewall Riots, and that was in the Stonewall Inn in America. Um, and that was a bar that was frequented by LGBT plus people. Um, and at the time, that was illegal. Um, and often the, the bar would be raided. Many other bars would be raided as well by the police. And just this one hot summer night in June 1969, the patrons of the bar just said no more. And they actually fought back um, and they refused the police entry. They threw things at them, and I guess that was kind of seen as the first uh, flashpoint, I guess, of what we now call Pride events. And then later in that year, it was established that there would be a march, um, so the very first march. It was called a Liberation March rather than a Pride March, but and that happened in November of 1969, and that was really seen as the birth of Pride. Um, and then lots of events have happened uh, every year, really, since. Um, so lots in America... And then the first one happened in uh, London, in the UK, in London in 1970. Yeah, that's a little bit of history (laughs) of where it all started from. But um, I guess mostly it's about fighting the oppression that the LGBT plus community was facing at the time and making a stand for equality and equal rights, which is something that we still have to do now. Um, so, um, through the history of Pride, when um, was the flag, rainbow flag kind of invented? Yeah, um, so I, <laughs> I had to double check on this one, <laughs> so, because obviously we've talked about kind of a lot of the history of, of when actually Pride started, and the, the flag that we now use is a variation of the rainbow flag that was created by uh, Gilbert Baker, and he created that in 1978. Um, and so that was, yeah, it was kind of used as a symbol for um, the LGBT plus community. Um, originally, it had uh, eight stripes. Um, we've kind of recognised it now as having six stripes. Um, but there was used to be a turquoise colour and a pink colour on there. And um, the pink was dropped because at the time, pink was a very hard colour to get hold of in terms of the fabric. 
And uh, the turquoise was dropped, uh, literally, I could, the only reason I could find it is to, for symmetry. Um, so, so that uh, they, wanted to, to ha- they wanted to split it into two and have three different colours on either side when they hung uh, the flag in San Francisco. Um, so they just dropped turquoise <laughs> from it. But, um, so we recognise it now as having six, uh, six stripes. And then uh, in 2018, uh, the black and brown stripes were added. And we know this is the Philadelphia flag. And the reason for that was to kind of show that we still had a lot to do for the, the black and uh, Asian and people of colour uh, within our LGBT plus community. So tackling racism within our community is still something that we need to do. Um, but obviously there are LGBT plus people that exist within those communities as well and they need our support. So they were added. And then in, um, I think actually probably was 2017 and then 2018, it was updated to have the chevrons that we, you might have seen uh, to include uh, the trans community as well. So we call that the progress flag and that is the flag that we use quite a lot now when, we, when we're representing Pride. Um, having been to Pride a couple of times with my mums, um, can you tell us some history of Bristol Pride? Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm assuming your mums weren't around at the very first one, but it, that was uh, took place in 1977 in Bristol. That was held as, as a fundraiser, actually. It wasn't called a Pride event, but it was a fundraiser. And if you look at it now, you go, that was a Pride event. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a fundraiser against, uh, it was called a blasphemy trial. You know, we're still in a time where we're, you know, we're, we were really battling against homophobia in the press and something had been printed that people were unhappy about. And actually a gay couple were being sued by that by the press and the person they spoke about at the time so a fundraiser was held in Bristol to raise money to fight that court case and looking back on it we, we pinpoint that as really saying that was the first pride event in in Bristol that was held down in the Arnolfini and then from from 1977 lots of events have happened more probably more ad hoc we couldn't say they happened every year but Events happened in the centre, events have happened inside Watershed as well. So that's always been a venue that have held Pride events uh, right through to in the 80s. And then they kind of started to peter out in the late 90s. And in about the mid 90s, they kind of stopped. Some of the bars and venues still held uh, events in their car parks. We had things like called the Pineapple Street Party. But yeah, we kind of stopped a lot in, uh, as I say, in the late 90s. Um, And it wasn't really until 2010 when we got together and just kind of made it made it happen again. So, yeah, that's, I guess, a potted history of, <laughs> of it. But there's always been, you know, a really great uh, community in Bristol and very passionate and in making events and things happen. What motivated you to bring Pride back to our city in 2010? So I guess it just really was a case of uh, a few of us got together in 2009 and just said, you know, we're a really big city. I think we were the eighth largest city in the country back then. And we were just like, we don't have a Pride event. Why not? You know, we do have a fairly big community. We've got venues. So why don't we have an event that can bring everyone together? And also, you know, we are still needing to tackle some of the issues facing our community within Bristol. So we wanted to use Pride as an opportunity to, I guess, galvanise and bring people together um, to kind of tackle some of those issues. So, yeah, I guess that was the motivation. I'm, I'm not Bristol born and bred. I moved down here from London. Um, so having come to Bristol from a place like London, where there is a massive you know, gay scene and you know, Pride events there, I was a little bit surprised to find that Bristol didn't have one. So I guess that was the motivator as well. Um, how has the festival changed over the years? 
Yeah, dramatically. <laughs> so I remember in 2009, it felt really hard just to try and make one happen. I think, you know, we'd had a few false starts, you know, as I said, in the late 90s. And I think people were just like, oh, yeah, it won't ha actually happen, you know. But we made it happen and we held our first event in 2010 and it was in Castle Park. And I remember we had about 400 people on the parade. And uh, I think across the whole day, we probably had about 5,000 people come to the event in Castle Park. And actually, at the time, that was a really big success. If you look now, in 2019, um, our last event, we had 40,000 people attend the festival across the day and 18,000 people on the um, parade march. So, yeah, the, the, the numbers are just dr dramatically different. So that's the main thing, I guess, you could say was a comparison. Um, but also we've moved a lot. So we were in Castle Park, we then moved to the amphitheatre, um, and then we moved up to the Downs, which is where we held the last event in 2019. So, yeah, I guess just grown, you know, not just in size and what we do, but actually the support that we have in the city. I remember, like, trying to get businesses to support us. You know, we have to raise funds to be able to put these events on. It was really difficult in 2009. Now they come to us um, and want to give, you know, want to support us and showcase their support for the community. We really struggled to get artists to perform, you know, in our first years, but now they come to us and want to perform. So it really, it has made a difference, um, you know, just growing, getting bigger. And I feel like we just have more presence in the city and everyone, everyone knows about Pride now. Um, and that's a great thing. So Darren, um, who's your favourite artist that's performed over the years? Mm, that, I mean, maybe that's a big question because that's quite <laughs> a yeah, we've had so many, and I, I kind of think, you know, in 2019, we had Spice Girl Mel C, and she performed um, with Sync the Pink, loads of dancers, and it was, it was incredible. So I think that was really great. However, it has to be Sophie Ellis-Bexter. She's performed with us so many times, and she's just, she loves the community so much. She, she gives so much in her performances, and obviously, during lockdown, she's been doing her kitchen discos, and it's just been great to watch her. So, do you think Pride should be a festival or a protest? Hmm. Again, a tricky question, and if I may, I'm going to say both. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Pride is a protest. You know, I talked about the history of, of, of Pride, you know, the Stonewall Inn in 1969. That was a protest um, against those raids, against the oppression of the LGBT plus community and for, and for liberation and a fight for equality. So, you know, the first Prides were a protest, so Pride is a protest, and actually that hasn't gone away. You know, we still need to fight for equality. Um, things may be better for gay and lesbian people now, but actually for the trans community, there's still a lot of work to be done. There is still a lot of biphobia out there. Bi people get erased a lot. So there's a lot of work to do for the whole spectrum of the LGBT plus community. So, you know, using Pride as an opportunity to protest and fight for our equality and our rights is really important and still needed. But, you know, we, we have an opportunity to celebrate how far we've come and to put on a festival where we can actually bring people together. And for many people, including myself when I was younger, going to a Pride event and being able to see thousands of other people like you was life-changing and it just it meant so much to me and I think it's really important that people still have the opportunity to see other people know that they're not freaks or not they're not normal um that they they just they can be who they want to be and there are other people like them too and that's really important so that brings us back to our big question a lot has changed for LT LGBT plus people over the years and in the UK there has been lots of positive changes in, just in my lifetime for example um same-sex marriage is now allowed 
Um, within the past few weeks, laws have been changed to allow gay men to donate blood for the first time. With this in mind, the big question is, why is Pride still important today? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely still important. Some of those, those reasons I've mentioned already, but actually, if you look at the progress we have made in our equal rights for some of our community, it has been because of events like Pride and organisations like us who have campaigned to make that happen. All our elders before us, you know, we enjoy the rights that we have today because of all those people that fought for them back in the day. So I think, you know, we can say that Pride is, is still needed because there is still work to be done. You know, we haven't reached equality yet. You know, I know many people who are still afraid to hold hands in the street if they're in a same-sex partnership and, and there is still bullying that happens. And uh, there's opportunities for us all to tackle that. So I think Pride is still needed to be able to, as I mentioned earlier, kind of galvanise the community and bring people together for us to have a voice um, and to have things like the Pride March where we can be loud and proud but also kind of shout out for the equality that we're still fighting for. And I guess fundamentally, Pride is still needed because maybe someone listening to this thinks that they're not worthwhile and thinks that they shouldn't exist and they shouldn't be who they are. And actually, we're here to say that it is needed and that you're valid and you're loved and respected. And I don't think we get to say that enough. So pride is still needed for those very reasons. That sounds like a very important reason. Also a great message for the children of Hellcrest. And that, and that is all for the big question for this term. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Darren Carter, for coming in. Thank you, it's been great to be here. What a great discussion. I learned so much about the history of Pride. Thank you, Jasper, for those great questions. And a big thank you to Dan for coming to Hillcrest to discuss the big question. Sadly, just after Dan recorded his interview last week, it was announced that a number of Bristol Pride events would need to be postponed due to the extension to Covid restrictions, including the Bristol Pride Dog Show and the Bristol Pride Parade, a real blow for the LGBT community of Bristol. These events will be rescheduled to later in the year. Head over to the website bristolpride.co.uk to get details on the events still running this summer and for updates on their postponed events. Whenever that Pride Dog Show happens, I'll be going. I've seen pictures and it looks amazing. I know. Maybe we'll have a school trip and take Wilma with us. Let's do it. Now to our next segment, Chatty Children, where Martha and Stephanie are having a good old natter with two of Hillcrest LGBT parents. Chatty Children. Hello, my name is Martha. And I'm Stephanie. We are very lucky to have children at Hillcrest who are from lots of different types of families. This is something we are enormously proud of and we, something we celebrate here at school. We are delighted to be joined by Mary, who is the mother of Sophie in Canary class. And Darren, who is the father of Harry in Puffin class. They are both parents who are in a same-sex relationship. And they're here to tell us a little bit about what life is like as a same-sex parent. Hi, Mary and Darren. Hello. Hey, how's it going? What's the best thing about being same-sex parents? Uh, you, you can share clothes. That's quite good because we're the same size, so that um, is helpful and um, the same kind of uh, tasting clothes and that kind of thing so 
you don't have to buy two sets of everything so that's quite good I guess for me well yeah I've I really enjoy being you know I have a girlfriend who Sophie is really close with and it's been a really lovely experience um sharing that we've got lots of feminine energy in our household and definitely lots of clothes sharing going on uh, lots of similar interests so it's been a really lovely experience having a different dynamic to to our relationship it's a real I guess it's brought a real depth to our relationship um, having that kind of same-sex element. What is the most difficult thing about being same-sex parents? For us, like, so our boys are quite young still, so um, Harry's in reception, Ollie is coming into reception next year. Um, and I think for us, obviously, making sure that they get a balance of those kinds of energies. So, um, like, both of our mums, for example, so their grandparents... Uh, very heavily involved and we've got lots of friends who are women um, and just making sure they get a range of people to interact with so it's not all kind of just men if that makes sense for us because um, yeah, they need that as part of their kind of growing up and their development and their nurture. So I think um, I guess from my side of things so Sophie um, has a has a dad and so I was in a relationship with him for a long time and so now I'm in a relationship with a woman and I guess it was only kind of later in my life that I acknowledged my sexuality. And so I think the hardest thing for me was actually just coming to terms with it and sharing that with people. And actually my experience is that everyone's been very open and really lovely and supportive, but I think it was a little bit hard to to kind of get to where I am now first. That's probably the hardest thing. Do your children ever find it difficult? Both of our boys are adopted and they were adopted at a very young age. So Harry was probably 13 months when he was adopted and Ollie was nine months. So they've never really known anything different. But I think increasingly kind of coming into school and interacting with their friends, they've, you know, they know there is something different there. So I think not that they find it difficult, but helping them talk about that um, and talk about their own life story, um, which is something we do quite a lot of with them. We talk about their life story, their birth parents, their foster parents, and then kind of um, us as their adopted parents. So um, it's not, I don't think they find it difficult to talk about that, but it's a different kind of story that they've got and helping them share that with their friends in, in, the, in the right way is something we're trying to do a little bit more of at the minute. I think the same. I think as far as I'm aware, Sophie doesn't find it difficult. She's been very open and supportive and encouraging, which is really lovely. I think a whole new generation of people coming through just a lot more accepting and understanding um, of all these kind of different family dynamics that we can have. What do your children call you and your partner? Uh, I'm dad and Chris is daddy. Yeah. So like I said, again, I think it's a slightly different dynamic for us. So so Sophie, um, you know, calls my partner Maya and is very much open that um, I'm that she's my girlfriend. We're girlfriends. Has someone ever been unkind to you because you were same-sex parents? Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm trying mm. to think. I guess, like I said, it, again, it's a slightly newer dynamic for me, but I've never had anyone actively say anything unkind or, as far as I'm aware, you know, make Sophie feel ashamed or unsupported about how, how we live. No, again, I, I don't think I, anyone had, had anyone be actively unkind. There are a couple of examples. So we were in a coffee shop, Chris and I, with the boys, and uh, the person behind the counter said, oh, what have you guys done today to deserve daddy daycare? And that kind of stuff, which is not necessarily about us being same-sex parents. It's, it's actually more about the dynamic between men and women in society and what's expected you know, between men and women in society and that kind of thing. So that was 
a little bit frustrating. Um, and again, kind of not actually about being a parent, but just being in a same sex relationship, you know, people make assumptions. So in an interview for a job, for example, someone said, Oh, what does your wife do? Because I had a wedding ring on and actually I had to kind of correct them in the middle of a job interview and that kind of thing. So I don't think anyone's been actively unkind, but it's challenging some of those stereotypes, I suppose. Do you have any friends who are same-sex parents as well? We do, because, um, again, I suppose the way we became parents was through adoption. And uh, there's a really good adoption agency in Bristol that we were with, so um, CCS. Um, and they put us in touch with lots of different adopted parents. And some of those are also same-sex adoptive uh, adopters. Um, so, yeah, we've got um, a couple of friends, actually, and we're um, really good. And it's quite nice for Harry and Ollie because they've got other friends um, who are A, adopted, and, and B, have same-sex parents as well. So uh, Yeah, I do have a few friends who are also same-sex parents, which is, yeah, it's really nice to kind of have that it's definitely becoming more open and more visible. And even in the work I do, because I work as a midwife, I'm seeing a lot more same-sex couples coming through and, and it's, it's slowly being more and more normalised, which I think is really brilliant. Do you find that to be great support? Uh, yeah, no, I think it's, it's definitely... I mean, it's so nice to have in all elements of life to have, you know, to celebrate all our differences and those different dynamics in so many different ways. But I think it's also really nice... So I guess feel that inclusion. So having people that I identify and have similar life stories as well to have that support around. So I think it's really important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just um, it's good to have ask advice and you know, talk to people who've gone through a similar kind of experience and that kind of thing. So yeah, we have a WhatsApp group and you know, that kind of stuff. So what advice would you give to um, same sex partners who are thinking of having a child? Be prepared for early mornings, potentially. <laughs> um, yeah, getting up early is a requisite requirement. Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, if you've ever wanted to have children, I wouldn't necessarily let being in a same-sex relationship put you off that or become a barrier to that. You know, it doesn't have to be. Uh, so, yeah, that would be, I suppose, my advice. And there are so many different ways to become a parent as well. So there's there's adoption, there's surrogacy, there's, you know, there's lots of different ways of becoming a parent, so... Um, exactly so to follow on from that so one of my friends who is in a same-sex partnership they are very worried about having children because of how that might be and it definitely I've really noticed that there's still you know lots of people still find this really hard even though they feel more and more that they can be open about their sexuality and becoming parents can be a barrier for some people so again it's not something I've personally experienced but um, I think we've got you know more to do in terms of supporting everyone in society to feel comfortable and to be more open about all these different ways yeah that you can become parents absolutely have you got any messages for the children at hillcrest i i will thank you for having us on and i thank you for picking up this really really important topic and like i said you this younger generation are so wonderful and so brilliant at talking about all these really important things that actually when i was growing up weren't as talked about so i think it's just really important that we keep having these conversations so we can encourage people to feel comfortable in themselves and to not feel ashamed of, like, as you learn, as you grow up and become adults, to, um, you know, feel more and more supportive or support others in kind of acknowledging, you know, learning to become yourself at whoever that is. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And, yeah, thank you for thank you for the time you've given us and thank you for listening to us and um, hopefully we've been helpful. It's been so lovely, Mary and Darren, hearing about your families. I'm sure our listeners have learned lots. I know I have. Thanks for joining us for Chatty Children and answering our questions. 
What a lovely interview. How nice to hear how positive being an LGBT parent is for them. We know people haven't always been so accepting, so it feels really positive to hear the progress we're making. Our next segment is Teacher Tales. This term we're joined by Miss Ackerman, Miss Cox and Mr Wilson, who are members of our staff who are part of the LGBT plus community. They've sat down to talk about how life has changed for them as LGBT people. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Teach Tales. Uh, for this term's podcast, rather than have one teacher's story, there's three of us. I'm Miss Ackerman and I teach in year three. I'm Kat, Miss Cox, and I'm working in school office. And I'm Mr Wilson, and I'm a teacher from Year 5. For this Pride special of the podcast, we want to sit down together to talk about our journey. We've come on as LGBT people. So what was it like for you as a young LGBT person? I think the thing that strikes me now as an adult is that LGBT issues were just not talked about at all when I was a kid in school. Um, it wasn't saying that was discussed or it wasn't really brought up anywhere at all. And I think that probably made being a young LGBT person quite uncomfortable. It made me feel quite invisible and something that I wasn't really allowed to talk about. So being gay felt like something I had to keep a secret for years. And the longer it's a secret, the more scary it got telling people. Yeah, I agree. When, um, I mean, I was probably, uh, I definitely was a child um, a long, longer time ago than you were at school, <laughs> and, I, and I echo that completely. You know, it was something that felt really private and really personal and uh, as though there would be a huge reaction or a huge backlash if you did come out. Um, and, you know, when I was coming out to people when I was much younger, uh, people around us who weren't LGBT uh, would either be surprised or confused or would find the whole thing really strange and sometimes be really unkind um, or else they'd be really curious and they would ask lots and lots of questions lots of very personal questions that you probably wouldn't ask somebody who wasn't LGBT and I kind of found myself in the role of being like a spokesperson for the entire LGBT community which of course which of course I'm not my experience is very limited to my own experience yes. and uh, so I don't know all the answers about every LGBT plus issue, particularly when I was sort of 16, 17. I think for me, I went to an all-girls private Catholic secondary school, well, and primary from 3 to 18, run by nuns. It was not spoken about at all, not from the teachers and not from pupils either. That's really isolating when that happens, isn't it? Because you just feel like you're invisible and you just, you're just you not allowed to say anything yourself either. I'm very, really I'm very alone in a lonely yeah. place. Yeah, 
I think we were talking uh, the other day about role models, um, and I think that was hard for me to not have any visible people. I didn't really see anybody who was gay and famous, unless their being gay was um, uh, like a characteristic, like yeah. they were a caricature of themselves, um, and it was it was for dramatic effect. Um, I think my first experience of of having a recognisable um, exceptional human being was Martina Navratilova, the tennis player, mm-hmm. um, and and then after that it was Katie Lang, the singer, and both of those both came across as quite manly in their disposition, uh, both dressed in ways that were considered quite manly, and and it took a long time for me to embrace the idea that um, being gay, being a lesbian, didn't mean I had to um, had to appear a certain yeah. way that I could be myself. Didn't have to look tomboyish or manly in some way yeah I when we were having that conversation I remember saying the only person I knew as a child who was gay was Elton John and he always had flamboyant outfits and was very in your face and I really thought that's what being gay was all about and it probably wasn't until a singer called Will Young won Pop Idol when I was 16 that I started to see someone who was a bit more like me being gay and started to develop an idea of what that might look like for me in my grown up years. I think for me my role model probably was um, wasn't a celebrity it was real life people that were living their lives with their partners um, that had been open with their families, their friends neighbours, work colleagues those sort of people and um, I'm thinking back of the Warsaw Pride this last week where increasingly laws have been changed and repealed. And those people that took part in the Pride March are my role models. Yeah, absolutely. And, and people like you two. Oh. Well, you know, and you as well. <laughs> but I agree with you. I think your run-of-the-mill everyday people, the people we come in contact with every day, are the people who really are positive representation that is needed for the LGBT community because we can celebrate and admire them for being real people as opposed to being the world's greatest singer or being billionaires or influencers on Instagram. I think that's really important. And even though I think we see better representation in sort of media, I think it makes a huge difference to have people who are open in everyday life. I, I agree. I think one of the things that's been really important to me recently is being that out visible human being mm. who is you know is is a person in their own right who does lots of different things who has different facets of their personality uh, who just happens to be a lesbian and a lesbian who's actually quite a nice person most of the time mm-hmm. you know um, who's just going about their life and being honest about who they are without feeling any shame about it without feeling like there's anything wrong uh, and just being that visible demonstration of the fact that I'm just a person, I just happen to be part of the LGBT community as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot easier of late. You know, I was thinking about how the laws changed. Um, you know, when I was a teenager, uh, there was a law introduced called Section 28, which effectively banned schools from discussing or promoting any representation of same-sex relationships at all um, and that law wasn't repealed um, until 2003 and I was already a teacher yeah. by then um, and being a gay teacher going into primary education knowing that there was a law that effectively banned me from promoting same-sex relationship was really uh, created a lot of anxiety you know, I spoke to my tutor at university when I was training to be a teacher she said actually it'll be fine I don't think the law's going to be around for long 
if you do discuss it, actually it's not you that will be criminalised, it will be the local authority or whatever, mm. so don't worry about it, lots of people still are doing it, but with that, that experience, without knowing that, I needed to ask someone. But that um, was only when you started being a teacher, which yeah. was years and years after the law passed, so Completely, yeah. the three of us would have gone through school with teachers who weren't allowed to talk to us about Completely, that. Completely, yeah. I mean, mm. this happened, uh, Section 28 was introduced when I was in sixth form, mm-hmm. uh, and... It was a it was a terrifying idea that that law was a was an idea that everybody wanted to go with that was voted for. You yeah. Know? So it's only really been even since Section Twenty Eight was repealed. It's only really been the last few years that I've been openly out to uh, pupils and families and and being that positive representation of what a, a gay woman in two thousand twenty one looks like. It's those everyday conversations that people are like you say curious, aren't they? Mm. Um, but we are everyday people. I remember a friend said to me, but she was bemoaning the fact that her husband didn't empty the dishwasher. And she said, well, your house must be like a palace because there's two women <laughs> living together. And I was like, oh, right. you don't know my partner then. I think for me, the thing that I love seeing in day-to-day life is people who are same-sex or same-gendered parents because I think there's only a couple of things I've ever really wanted in life to live by the sea to have a dog um, and to have kids and be a dad and I think for so many years I thought that last one wasn't something I'd ever be able to have so when I see same-sex families in our school or out and about it just fills me with joy that we're moving in a direction where that can become a reality for me. Hmm. I remember when my children were due to start primary school and I was very keen to make sure that the school that they went to mirrored what we were teaching them and talking about at home. So it's really important that when we came to school, I spoke to the staff um, and asked questions. Are there any same-sex families here? Are there any LGBT members of staff? And it was really key that Hillcrest was the only school that could positively without a blink of an eye, answer those questions, without a thought to think, oh, I don't know that answer, or I don't want to answer that. And then I knew straight away that Hillcrest would be that open school Mm -hmm. that would be able to have conversations and that would accept my family, my children, without any issues. That's great. And I think that is very special about Hillcrest because... I, for a very similar reason, in 10 years of teaching, I don't think I've ever actually spoken to any child at all about being a gay man. So this is the first time I've ever done that. And that feels like it shouldn't be a huge deal. And I think it's really powerful to be a teacher at Hillcrest and to be able to say that and feel like I've got a community around me that supports me. And that's going to be the non-issue. I think it absolutely will be. I mean, like I said, you know, I've I've been here for nearly 20 years, which is terrifying all by itself. Um, But it's only in the last five years, as I said, that I've been out to the entire community. It still felt like a big deal when I did it. Uh, It still felt like a big deal when I first said to my class, you know, I'm getting married and it's it's to a woman, you know. Uh, And they were excited and that was lovely. Yeah. Um, As it should be. As it should be. As it should be. Um, Yeah, and then latterly becoming a parent uh, as a result of that marriage, becoming a step-parent to my two lovely boys, um, has been another thing that, again, as as an LGBT person, uh, one of the things I've always wanted was to be a parent, um, and that opportunity has presented itself in the most lovely way. Um, And again, here, 
as Kat was saying, it doesn't feel like it's ever an issue. Yeah. You know, I'm just their stepmom. I'm just another mum in the family. That's a joy. That's a wonderful thing to be able to do without fear of repercussion or awkward conversation or embarrassment on the part of anybody else. Or, you know, it's a really positive thing. And I think Hillcrest is, I don't think it's unique, but I do think it stands out. Yeah. As, as a really good example of community where that's possible. Yeah, I agree with you, absolutely. I think it's that cliche thing that um, children are our future. Um, mm. So there will be children from this school that will be allies to LGBT people mm. and that they will be activists when they're older or they may create new laws that will support yeah. LGBT community and they may also become part of LGBT community themselves. I think that's really important that for all those reasons, we're making sure that visibility is so clear and the children feel empowered with knowledge about LGBT people and LGBT history. So yeah. they're going out into the world with a really positive view of the gay, lesbian, bisexual and transgender mm. community. Thank you, Miss Ackerman, Miss Cox and Mr Wilson for that teacher tales. One thing we've heard in all three of our segments has been how important representation is for the LGBT community. Solly, what do you think that means? Well, representation is about how people are shown and seen and that's done in lots of different ways, like LGBT people are shown on the news. I don't think it's always been done positively. In the past, lots of newspapers would be very disrespectful of famous gay people when they came out and when you look at people from history like Alan Turing there was a lot of terrible treatment of him because he was gay despite being a war hero. I hope now that representation is much better. Like Mr Wilson said in Teacher Tales, it gives LGBT people positive role models to look up to and lets young people know they are important and valued. In school, we make sure we have positive representation of LGBT people, like having lots of great books about sexuality and gender in our school library, or the great discussions we have in No Outsiders lessons. And I'm glad we have adults in our school who can be positive role models for young LGBT people too. Very true. That's why Hillcrest is such a brilliant school to be part of. Now it's time for the final section of the podcast, Voice from the playground. The children of Hillcrest have been thinking about their LGBT heroes. We've been out on the playground to find out who it is they admire. Voices from the playground! Hi, I'm Cass from Canary Class and the LGBT person I admire is my uncle Fergus because he's kind, funny and hardworking. Hi, my name's Tommy, I'm from Woodpecker Class and the LGBT person I admire is my uncle Ash because he always invites me round his house for barbecues and and he's always funny and makes my day. So. Hi, my name is Sophie, I'm in the Canary part Class and my LGBT person I admire is my mum because she has she's gay and like that's amazing for her to even be able to share it she's she's not scared of anyone judging her she's only brave of what she thinks hi i'm sam from our class in year six and the um lgbtq person i admire is alan turing because he saved britain in world war ii and fought out against homophobia Hello, my name's Jet and I'm in 6 b and 
the LGBT person that I admire is my godfather, who's a doctor, and I just think he's really cool because he saves lives every day, and that's like his job. My name is Harris, and I'm in Robin's class, and the LGBT person I admire is my godmother, Ellie, because she's a really good photographer and really kind. Hi, my name's Evie, and I'm in Ren class, and the LGBT person I admire is my mum friend, Fipsy, because she doesn't, she's gay, and she doesn't care about what anyone else thinks, even though her mum didn't quite accept it at the time, and she said that she was gay. Hello, I'm Eva, I'm from Kingfisher class, and my LGBT person who I admire is my uncle, Ollie. He is a professor, and he's very smart. Hi, I'm Ella, and I'm in Tekken class, and the, and the LGBT person that I admire is um, Nicola Adams because, because she is a professional boxer and she was the first female to be with um, a female in Strictly Come Dancing and and she's also a very good dancer and I think it's um, a good thing that she did that too because I like dancing too and she's really good at dancing. Hello, my name is Eli, I'm in Kingfisher Cast. The LGBT people I admire are my mums because they're always caring for me. Hi, my name's Stella and I'm in Robin's class. The LGBT person that I admire is my aunties because they are nice and they do fun things with us. Hi, my name is Maya and I'm in Chaffinch class. My LGBTQ plus hero is Maya Angelou because she's so inspiring. The reason she's so inspiring is because she's an amazing poet, writer, dancer, artist and so much more. I, my favourite poem by her is why the, is I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. And also she has the first name as me. <laughs> you have been listening to the prize special of From the Crest of the Hill, the podcast from Hillcrest Primary School. Thank you to everyone who has taken part in this episode. To Miss Ackerman, Mr Wilson and Miss Cox for their teacher tales. To our chatty children, Martha and Stephanie from Canaries class and Mary and Dan for sitting down to talk to us about being LGBT parents. Thank you to Jasper from our class and Darren Carter from Bristol Pride for discussing the big question. And thank you to all of the children who have shared their LGBT heroes for Voices from the Playground. Thank you to Hugo, Evie and Bella from Rain Class for designing this term's podcast poster. And thank you to Mr Mac and Mr Wilson for producing this podcast. Let's not forget you, Freddie. Not at all. And thank you, Phoebe and Solly, for being such wonderful hosts. Thanks, Freddie. Don't forget there's still our regular termly podcast to come at the end of the term. Be sure to tune in and listen. And as always, if you'd like to be involved in the podcast, either this year or next year, you can speak to Mr Wilson or Mr Mac. I have been Phoebe. I've been Solly. And I have been Freddie. Happy Pride everyone and And thanks for listening. Spirits lifted is all I'll say. Tune in for another episode tomorrow. We've got the one, the only, Riyad Khalaf on the show. He is an author, he's a TV presenter, he won Celebrity Masterchef, and he is a lover of aviation. And we are talking about ADHD. Really, really interesting episode. Can't wait for you to hear it. All you have to do is, you know, just set your alarm for 5am when the podcast is released in the UK and start listening. All right, tons of love. Happy Pride Month, everybody. Bye now. Hold up, what was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Powered by Spirit Studios.